This is 40K Today. You gave us a like on Facebook. The Emperor of Mankind gave us a purity seal. Both are cool. Welcome to a special Best of 40K Today. Monday through Friday, we are your daily 15-minute news, views, and interviews deep dive into the entire hobby of Warhammer 40,000. Today, we bring you a selection of some of our favorite interviews from the week. We have to say a massive thanks to our friends at Frontline Gaming for having us in on a Saturday. If you like what you hear, give us a listen during the week at 40ktoday.com, or you can find us via your favorite podcast player. I'm your host, John Damaris, and today on the program, we talk to a genuine Warhammer hero. We also talk to a former White Wolf editor that talks to us about what GW was like right before the launch of 40K. One of the best Necron players in the world joins us to talk new edition and what it might mean for the Krons, and one of our favorite podcast personalities makes his triumphant return. Let's get this show on the road. Some very interesting information is coming out about 9th edition. Here are the few of the highlights that I picked up from the good folks at Goonhammer, which, by the way, is one of the best places on the internet for long-form, deep-dive information into 40k subjects. You should check it out to help keep abreast of everything going on with 9th. They even have an article now that's listed all of the things the devs have talked about thus far. But as promised, here's a few of the cool highlights coming out in 9th edition. Death Watch is slated to get a major update pretty soon after 9th drops. Pretty soon in air quotes. Uh, old Space Marines are still going to be supportive, so, so you don't have to worry about having to get rid of all of your old, cool, painted models. The Forge World indexes are getting a full rewrite by the GW Rules team. This is excellent news because hopefully it'll bring a lot of the Forge World stuff in line, both in power level and points cost, with things that are found in the normal codexes. And I think one of the most exciting things is command points will be based on your army size and not on your detachments. Thus, everyone will have the same number of command points leveling the playing field. Custody players and Grey Knight players alike will be rejoicing. Not all heroes wear capes. Some of them are just a regular person like any of us. Damian Long has been 3D printing for some time, and when he saw the need for personal protective equipment, he got busy figuring out how he could repurpose his equipment to make a difference. He was able to produce a staggering number of reusable masks and really make a ginormous impact early on in the pandemic. Damien, before we get started, first let me say uh, you are a true inspiration and hero, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. So cheers to you, fella. I really, really appreciate it. But why don't you tell everybody sort of what was the impetus and how you got started and, and what you're doing? Because I guess maybe I didn't exactly say that to start. So Yeah, sure. No worries. Um, so... I have been 3D printing uh, miniatures and terrain and props and stuff for about a year now. And when the COVID-19 virus hit, um, I realized pretty quickly that there was a lack of PPE locally for, for frontline workers. So um, I stuck up a quick post on my Facebook page and just basically said to, to you know friends and family, if anyone wants any of these face shields that I was able to uh, let me know. Uh, ended up just having a, a massive outcry from uh, all the large local hospitals, ambulance service, care homes, uh, pretty much all the, the medical profession locally. Um, so essentially moved very quickly to, uh, to start building these things. I actually fired up a, um, a GoFundMe page and within 24 hours managed to get £2,000 in there, uh, which allowed me to really ramp things up. So um, 
yeah, through the three weeks of last month, uh, the first three weeks, I managed to produce and donate 3,381 face shields for frontline NHS workers in the UK, uh, which from the printers that were basically doing uh, terrain and, and props beforehand. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a major, major upscale. That's, that's amazing. And, and we'll, we'll definitely put a link to the GoFundMe. Is it still running? If no, people I want to down as soon as I've had enough to, to get the materials, obviously there's, you know, there's no point in keeping it running. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, as soon as I'd had enough of the materials, yeah, that, that money essentially allowed me to upscale and go to major plastic manufacturers to get thicker, stronger sheeting for the front lenses, um, which essentially meant they were two and a half times thicker than anything else that was currently available, even at cost. Yeah, so, so, uh, so yeah. you donated 3,300 some odd face yeah. masks for frontline workers. That's incredible. And if, if people haven't seen these face masks, they're the full uh, like clear plastic shields that cover yeah. the entire. So they're very protective, right? They, they do a good job. Yeah, sure. I mean, they were signed off by infection control at both our large local hospitals and by the ambulance service. Um, they were cleaned with alcohol and chlorine dips between usage. So they were able to be reused rather than thrown away, which is uh, a big win at the moment with, with the lack of PPE that is available for those workers. Um, it does seem now that uh, major manufacturing has, has started to, to speed up, which you know probably should have happened eight weeks ago or so. But um, I know there's companies out there now that uh, are now able to produce these en masse, which is great. Um, but there's only a certain amount of the material in the UK supply chain, um, so that's now been diverted as it as it should have been to to people that can now manufacture these things en masse. So I think it's starting to drip through, which is good news. Um, but it, it's, you know, it wasn't just myself. There's the whole 3D printing community sort of turned on this, and um, there are a lot of people globally um, that are doing a very similar thing. Uh, it's uh, it's yeah. always really fun to see how people come together in times of crisis. And uh, dude, I actually have literally, legitimately have goosebumps right now just listening to your story. It's so inspiring. I mean, I I just it's it's awesome to see good people doing good things. Uh, for good reasons, right? Because <laughs> yeah, you don't sure. you, you don't always get the crossroads of all of those things. Um, but just let me say from my heart, dude, thank you. Like that that is legitimate heroic stuff, dude. Ah, <laughs> like, no worries, man. It was um, well, it was a pleasure to do it, you know. And um, it was it was hard work. We were doing um, so it's up to eighteen hour days building and constructing them, um, and the printers were running twenty four hours a day, uh, solidly for over three weeks um, at maximum speed with super wide nozzles on so they're running um significantly faster and with bigger kit than i'd normally use for miniatures or anything like that um which which came with its own problems but um yeah it was it was good we managed to produce some, some serious numbers and hopefully helped help people locally so what you can do you know that kind of impact can't be underestimated because you're literally protecting over three thousand people or helping protect them because like you said there was a major PPE shortage because obviously no one predicted the pandemic was going to hit cool. the way it did, right? Like, um, and your quick action probably saved lives. So that's that's something that's pretty cool. It must make you feel very proud. Yeah, it was a good thing to do. Because um, I was paid, I was actually made redundant just before this happened. I know a lot of people have gone through the same thing. Um, so I had a bit of time on my hands. Um, basically wasn't sure when i when i'd be able to pick up the, the next job which thankfully I, i've now managed to do um but yeah i had a bit of time on my hands and a few 3d printers so i thought why not yeah well not all heroes wear capes but damien 
thank you for your service to the world and to your local community uh, and have a great day. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me on. That's Damian Long, a true hero. We're going to have him back on sometime in the near future to talk about those 3D printers we originally purchased for. Maybe some super cool terrain or some life-size 40K weapons. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, Paul Cockburn took over as the editor of White Dwarf magazine. These days, he lives in New Zealand, not far away from our own Steve Joel, and the two of them caught up for a chat about history. Uh, let's start before you even are editing the magazine. What leads yep. you into Games Workshop? How do you get to Games Workshop and start start work there? And what sort of time in your life were you at? Um, so I'm about 24, and the competitor to Games Workshop, a company called TSR, who are behind um, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, they launch a UK magazine competitor to White Dwarf, and... I set up and run that for three years. Right. Okay. When I leave there, um, the uh, the boss guys at uh, Games Workshop um, then took me on, not specifically to um, do White Dwarf. I was there as a kind of project manager, um, but I quickly ended up doing uh, White Dwarf for um, – uh, well, it's a, it's a it's a fairly bizarre story that's uh, difficult to do quickly, but I can if you like. Okay. Well, you know, take as long as you need to do it justice. <laughs> well, uh, it, it's just um, this this amuses all of those of us who were involved in this story. Um, so, Games Workshop, the company, was based in London, uh, UK. Uh, Citadel Miniatures, the people that make all the uh, all the toy soldiers, um, uh, were in. Were and are in Nottingham. Yes. Uh, so I joined. Technically, I joined Citadel, but at this time, Citadel is taking over Games Workshop. One of the things they decide to do is they're going to move everything up to Nottingham. Um, there are plans for a big, big office and factory, all of this sort of gubbins. So, literally on my second day, the boss man calls me in and says, "We need you to go down to London, collect all of the White Dwarf stuff, see if any of the staff are prepared to move to Nottingham." sort this all out and i like literally <laughs> i wasn't even remembering where my desk was by right. this point but wow. um all right fine on the train down to london hotel blah 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 take the guys uh, who are currently working on white dwarf out to dinner and they all go nah we're not having it um uh, so literally all i can do is arrange to ship all of the white dwarf stuff um up to nottingham and bear in mind it's a monthly magazine I, I can't remember exactly where, but we're somewhere in the cycle of producing the next issue. Yeah. Um, so the way it was told to me later is that I'm waiting then up in nothing the next week for stuff to arrive, and hardly anything does. Um, some equipment does, uh, some files and what have you, but no, no content, no, no stuff. Um, and this is because the guy driving the van uh, had parked up somewhere on the M1 and gone, this is all crap, and had thrown it onto uh, the side of the road. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, um, um, but it, it meant that we, um, uh, we, we kind of had to uh, reinvent White Dwarf from scratch because there was no content, no continuity, as it were, from what had gone before. Um, and uh, this is then the beginning of my... Um, 
my story as the man that ruined White Dwarf because <laughs> quite literally all we could then do was to put much more focus on the Citadel Miniatures side of things. So immediately there's a lot more emphasis on things like painting guides, on army lists for Warhammer battle, fantasy battle. Um, and then we start prefiguring um, what I know you're obviously interested in, things like Warhammer 40K. So White Dwarf magazine has since gone on to be this, uh, you know, mainstay really of the whole setup for uh, Warhammer for Games Workshop all the way through. And still people look forward to it and our rules for armies are being produced in White Dwarf. I've heard people yeah. people are desperately waiting for the next one to come out. Uh, what do you make of White Dwarf now as compared with when you were putting it out? Um, it's it's the natural evolution of, of what happens at that time when um, when the London operation was closed down and the Nottingham one started. Uh, because it was a case that Citadel took over Games Workshop, even if the name of the company became Games Workshop, it was a miniatures-based operation from then on. What mattered, even, with, even when you were producing games, um, including 40K, including Warhammer Fantasy Battle, any game at all, was what was that going to do to sales and miniatures? How was that going to drive sales and miniatures? Um, so with that focus, what it meant was that White Dwarf just became part of that operation that said, uh, look, kids, you know, this, this, this hobby is really cool. You can turn out your, your Space Marine uh, regiment looking like this. Um, here's a painting guide. Here's how it fits into an army list. Now go buy the rule book and have fun. It's interesting you point out that uh, Citadel took over, took over the business, became the driver of the business. It's an, it's a a criticism that people post on social media a lot is, are oh, they just trying to sell miniatures? But you know, <laughs> yeah, obviously yeah. It's, people post it as a criticism, but it's not really. It's just a reality. They're trying to sell miniatures, yeah. and so yes, of course, everything builds into that. But that doesn't mean we can't have fun along the way and kind of suspend that reality. Yeah. Um... Games Workshop was essentially um, back in the like seventies and eighties was a retail operation with some small scale publishing tacked on the back of it. That that wasn't something that could become the company that people are enjoying today. Right. So something was going to give, um, and the driver was the fact that actually you could make you could make good profits off miniatures, but the only way to make really good profits off miniatures was to have to, was to have games to hang them on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, Warhammer Battle, Warhammer 40K, both are engines to drive um, miniatures sales, but that doesn't mean that they're not, like, you know, loved and, and fun project products in their own right. That was Paul Cockburn. His stories were so fun, we produced a second interview with him this week that was on Thursday's show. You should definitely check it out. Next up on the show, we chat with Eula Sanders about Necrons. Today's episode of 40K Today is brought to you by Frontline Gaming. Frontline Gaming is a one-stop shop for all your Warhammer hobby needs, discounted products, American-made gaming mats and terrain, and a full line of miniatures painting service and daily hobby content. And this can all be found at FrontlineGaming.org. Welcome back. Eula Sanders did very well at LVO with Necrons. It stops by to let us know what he thinks they will be getting in the new edition. 40K Today's own Steve Joel sat down with Ulysses to discuss that very thing. You always knew that Necrons had it in them in the right hands. Is that fair to say? You know, I, I felt like 
my list was very capable of a four and two. And all I needed was one or two lucky rolls to get to a five and one or potentially even a six and oh. Like I, I knew I knew the list had the capabilities um to get there. My my fifth game was against an Iron Hands player who finished five and one. So his I mean, imagine that you're an Iron Hands player and your only loss is the Necrons. Yeah. Um <laughs> On turn one, I killed 1,200 points of his army. I knew if I could get to the top 100 tables, it played to my um, advantage. The success at LVO was amazing, and, and and I communicated with you during all of that. I was watching as much as I could. The results come in every game and going, holy moly, this guy, he's on a roll. But what we're seeing now, and because there's been so much over the last little while about you know, people saying, oh, Necrons aren't getting any love, and there's no new models, and, we, and <laughs> why do we wait so long, and... But now, GW, man, have they made up for it. If we, if what we've seen in the last few days is anything to go by, for a start, let's talk about the models that are that are coming out. There are some stunning and brand new, it looks like, builds, right? Oh, I mean, there's going to be so much on the table. Uh, funny story, uh, 2019 LVO, so not this last year, I got a chance to talk to one of the lead designers, and he had made the comment that there's going to be a lot of changes coming up for the armies, a.k.a. Psychic Awakening. But he also told me at the time, Necrons are going to need a full overhaul. Right. And that's and I kind of knew that we were going to be in for a long haul. I'm I'm fully anticipating that with all the stuff that we're seeing, um, I'm really expecting a lot of a lot of changes. Now, fingers crossed, those are all those are good changes. I mean, like yeah. I said, uh, you already got a lot of changes. <laughs> they weren't necessary, you know, necessarily for the best. Right. Um, but yeah, I but this is I, this is all new models, right? I mean, this is we're we're seeing just from the images that we've seen so far. Not only the Silent King, which people were excited about, but there, yeah. there's that giant uh, three-legged dreadnought-sized slashing machine in the video. There's the it looks like a potential a, a potential Necron Knight variant, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe something yeah. similar to Gallant, which would be a very cool addition to the list. Um, the one that's really intriguing is that Cetan model-looking thing. And there's talks that it could be potentially the shard of the void dragon. Right. Uh, wow. if, if that plays out, I, I think, I mean, that's going to be really interesting. I mean, I hopefully GW does it justice because I'm not a big lore guy. I'm more of the, on the competitive side, but with a little bit I do or have read about the lore of the void dragon. Like it, it should be really an interesting model. Yeah. Um, and hopefully brings, something scary uh the necrons need a scary close combat model so, something that at least makes you hesitate before just throwing everything into us so that was my next question my in my experience the things that uh necrons need and this is what i want to ask you you have much more experience and you're a much better player so but it seems to me that the d6d6 is an issue and we need some consistent uh big gun shooting and also yeah as you said some some something solid and dependable and big and scary in close combat. Is there anything else you think that we need that you'd like to see with the birth well, of this new edition? One of one of my biggest complaints is that we weren't necessarily playing the same game as everybody else. And the reason why I said that too is that uh, for a long time, I, in my my opinion, uh, it, it worked well the Jim Bessel list because uh, when players you know were around. But in my opinion, for the last year, the Necron Battalion has been um, is is really is not it's not been good. I mean, it's it's been uh, to the detriment of those who have brought them, from what it, it seems like. And and so I actually haven't 
played with troops in probably over a year. Wow. Now, why I say what the new edition, they said that they're going to be balancing out CP and basically everyone's going to be having more CP base. And I think that's going to be a huge balancing, uh, you know, rather than, you know, going up against an orc player who has 18 CP and I'm running with six or seven. Sure. You know, I, I think the that's, and that's just going to make, I mean, that's going to, that's, that's going to completely change how we can approach the game as well. You know, because my opinion, that's, that's, that's my biggest downside with rates. So what the rates have been is I think rates are an interesting unit, but they need CP to be good. And then you have to bring troops and troops and race don't, don't sync up very well. I honestly don't think Necrons are the only army that's suffering from, from that. Uh, and you know, when the psychic awakening book comes out, hopefully there'll be a bunch of stratagems that are great for Necrons to use. But yeah, as you say, then they're CP hungry and you're going to need uh, some sort of balancing act for night. So that would be a big thing that you're after is the CP, um, a yep. big scary model, which it looks like we're going to get for... Uh, with a C-Tan. And, and also it looks like more of a bruiser with those those smaller three-legged guys, maybe yeah. like a, a Necron, uh, you know, Bulgren kind of type model that's going to be more of a, a midfield bruiser, which is something we haven't... Like it's something the race, we want the race to be, but they're just not, yeah. they're not quite there. Yeah. Um, maybe something to complement the race. The other thing that I've been seeing from the pictures that looks really interesting is like the idea that it looks like there's this new monolith, um, a, a well-pointed, accurate monolith that does kind of what the monolith is supposed to do. I'm really hoping what that means is GW recognizes that they really, um, you know, they really kind of, you know, pigeonhole us in gear options, you know, not compared to a lot of other armies that can switch out gear. We don't really have that option. And I'm I'm really hoping, like especially for like the Lich Guards, the, the idea of being able to have maybe three or four sword boards with you know complementary five or six you know war sites, stuff like that across the whole codex could be a big addition as well. And I'm, I, maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into that with seeing some of the death rays on the the monolith, but I'm hoping maybe there's going to be some more gear flexibility going forward. And that's you know I think that would be huge for us as well. We're just going to have to wait and see, man. This is all really good yep. and really hopeful, and it's the new models look gorgeous. We know that for a fact. But rules-wise yeah. and everything else, we just wait and see. Thanks so much for talking to me, mate. I really appreciate awesome. your Thanks, time. Steve. That was Steve Joel getting us to the skinny on the Necrons. This week, I was lucky enough to sit down and talk with the one and only Val Helferfinger. I'm sure all of you miss Stat Center as much as I do, and we catch up with Val to ask him, when are you guys coming back, and when can we see Peter the Falcon again? All right, Mr. Val Heffeldaddy, Heffelfinger, uh, famously from 40K Stat Center. I hear that you guys are coming back online here pretty soon. You want to tell the people what's going on? Well, you know, I mean, that might be overselling it a little bit, but I heard a pretty cupcake puff piece interview here on 40K Today and in a few other uh, places regarding the Best Coast Pairings, Down Under Pairings, Merger, or Joining of Forces. And I thought, me and Pete, we love this stuff. We use a lot of the pairing software uh, to do our analysis. And so we want to hit him with some hard-hitting questions and, at, and get the real scoop on the bcp dup merger. And so we are, we're debuting a modified COVID-19 version of the show, maybe a one-off 40K chat center. Um, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. People genuinely miss you guys, right? Because you guys were a big staple on the scene. Like You came in uh, just like fireballs because I, I remember... Because you guys came in shortly, I think, before I started playing 40K about a year ago. And and I just was like, this show is so cool. <laughs> like how's and then 
you guys went away and I know that I've heard from other people uh, that they're just like, do you know, is Val coming back? You know what? I'll have him on 40K today and I'll ask him. So <laughs> if you guys have a good time with this, is there any possibility that there'll be more chat centers? Like, because uh, even the Falcon, I got I to gotta be honest, are just a lot of fun to listen to. Well, we have a lot of fun doing the show. If you do enjoy us just droning on about nonsense, uh, we do regularly appear these days on The Honest Wargamer, which is a Twitch channel run by our dear friend uh, Rob Symes of The Honest Wargamer. And uh, that's every Tuesday. Um, I guess it's what? It's actually noon GMT uh, is, is when that one streams live. You can come join us in the chat. It's 7 a.m. for me, 5 a.m. for Pete. So it's a, it is a passion project. Definitely, uh, definitely something we do for the love of the game and and hearing each other talk. So, check us out there. Absolutely, I think that's one of the things that made Stat Center sort of what it was. Was you and Pete? This is totally a passion project, right? It's definitely not a. I'm going to get rich off podcasting, which, by the way, folks, in case you're wondering, is not a thing. (laughs) But someone's going to figure it out, John. You got my money on you, pal. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I will retire on podcast millions. Maybe not. <laughs> but, and Joe Rogan just signed a crazy deal. So, you know, I think mean, he, he, he got bought by Spotify today, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, Joe Rogan is he's an animal, right? The guy is just, you know, he's he's a, a well-known comedian, championship kickboxer, <laughs> announcer for the UFC. Joe Rogan, the podcast Joe, Maris, Joe Rogan, Joe Damaris. Sounds about the same. Sounds about yeah. the same. You got something going on here. <laughs> okay. But um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, maybe maybe people haven't heard the story. What got you and Pete together to do Stat Center? Like what what was the impetus behind that? Oh, uh mostly it was at the time um an idea for a show that I had battling rattling around in my brain for a while, which was just uh there was enough actually happening every week that, you know, there's enough content being generated by tournaments to just talk about actual news from tournaments and because i don't like if 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 i was starting out of war i would definitely be playing your role not nick nobody's role i don't really know what's happening at a high level at a technical level um so for me it was i could so when i was on podcasts all the time i'd be asked my opinions on things and be like this opinion is worthless like yeah maybe i'm a funny guy but like i don't actually know what's hot these days what the kids are into I could just report that instead. And that's kind of where it came from. And eventually Pete started doing his thing. And suddenly we had not only the, you know, not only there was the news, but now we had all this quantitative data and Pete's a funny guy and we got along well on chapter tactics. And eventually I sort of pitched it to him and the frontline gaming guys and off we went. And the rest, as they say, is history. And now there's a big hole in the frontline gaming network where you guys were and everybody misses you. So um, have you thought about maybe covering some of the TTS tournaments that are going on right now or talking about at least to give people a, a little taste of what's going on in the meta? Because there's some interesting lists that are coming out of some of those right now. You know, I, I guess, you know, we started talking about it's a passion project and is TTS something that I would admit is actually kind of cool. It's actually remarkable to me how many people are engaged, aka more than zero, because that is a hard way to play 40 over 40,000. You were making some serious compromises uh, to do it that way. Um, that all being said, you know, maybe that's not where my heart lies. Like I've been having fun doing other stuff. And uh, I don't know if, if that's really what's going to make me hungry to do a, do a show. Maybe finding some other fun stuff to talk about. You know, you might see some irregular episodes out from, uh, from Peter and I. But uh, yeah, I don't know if, if necessarily covering the shadow meta 
is is really what's going for us. Also, like not to put a weird spit on things here, but it will be a challenge for us to determine when the right time to come back will be. Um, you know, because that, that's a hard question for just regular society. Um, right. You know, we don't necessarily want to encourage um, irresponsible choices, but there are lots of people who will be able to responsibly get back to playing Warhammer in an organized, competitive way. And uh, we'll have to decide when we start covering things. Yeah, because you don't want to accidentally incentivize people to do the wrong thing, which would be to gather in large groups when maybe they shouldn't. But at the same time, like you said... It's a big world. There's a lot of places where it's probably okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Very interesting. All right. Well, thanks, Val. I'm sure people will enjoy getting to catch up with you a little bit. And everybody should go check out uh, 40K Chat Center on the Frontline Gaming Network. Thanks, John. And congrats on the show. I love it. I don't quite get it every day, but uh, but I listen to it all the time. And it's, uh, it's as I would say, I need to tell your audience, I doubted this concept. I said, you're crazy. Uh, that's a dumb idea. And boy, was I wrong. The show is awesome. It's one of my favorites. Uh, thanks, dude. I am so excited to go listen to 40K Chat Center. I hope you are too. And that was my good friend, Val Halfelfinger. Okay, folks, who's ready to sing along? It's time for Model of the Day. It's the, the model of the day. The, the model of the day. The, the model of the day. Every day during our regular weekday show, we feature a model of the day. And we've been able to show off some really stunning stuff this week. You should definitely go check out our Facebook to look at all the cool models. This week, the model of the week is one you might have already seen. It's a remarkable piece of kitsch bashing and a great demo of how quality painting can bring two great things together. RoboPainter on Instagram has created a genius Alpha Legion Hellbrute, which is halfway through transforming into an Ultramarines Dreadnought. It's so brilliantly done. It looks a little more like Photoshop <laughs> than it does a model. The electric power fusion effect down the middle of the model is perfect, and both sides are painted brilliantly. That kid bashing, though, that's next level. Check it out on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The link to RoboPainter's work is in the show notes. If you have a model that you want us to feature in the show, or you've seen a model that just absolutely stunned you, don't hesitate to let us know. Look us up. We're at 40K Today on Facebook, and we'd love to hear about it. We're always looking for great models to put on the show. And that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. A big thanks to our content producer, Alex Boehner, our social media superstar, Tanya Gates, and our technical producer, Seamus Ronan, for all their hard work in once again putting this program together. If you liked what you heard on the show today, make sure you come check us out at 40ktoday.com or your favorite podcast platform. Like I said before, we do a 15-minute show every day with just the kind of information that you heard today. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, for the 40K Today team, I'm John Damaris, and that's what's happening. 